Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You want God to be jealous for you. That means that he wants your time. He wants your attention. He wants your affection. It's a beautiful thing. And he wanted that with Israel. And Israel turned their back on God. So because they entered in a covenantal agreement with God and they didn't honor their part, God has to be true to his word and says, if you disobey this, then I will bring enemies into the land to take you captive. Jealousy is usually something that's looked at with a negative connotation. God is referred to as jealous, but it's not in the way that we might think. He's not jealous of us, but rather jealous for us. He desires to be in connection with us, but we're constantly turning to other things in the world. In today's message, Pastor James shares about the Lord's desire for us to be holy and completely His. Are there areas of your life that you know that the Lord is asking you to give up for Him? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zephaniah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 13 is, therefore, because of what was just stated, their goods shall become booty, right? Ah, that's a, yeah, there you go. New King James. Man, if this was youth group, I'd be, I would have lost every single one of you, and I probably just did, uh, because I won't move on. Okay, right, there we go. And their houses, a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. All right, so this term settled. So what, what was happening within Jerusalem is individuals had become basically just stagnant. Stagnant. And the term settle means idle or stagnant, or an, another phrase for it is muddy-minded, not clear thinkers. They were suffering from godless indifference. God's not going to do good, nor is God going to do bad, Right? You know what's fascinating about this mindset is if you go over to Israel right now, this kind of mindset is there with a lot of the population. Because you can talk to, and we've you know, gone, gone a few times, went you know, street witnessing Tel Aviv and, well, Jerusalem as much as you can, but for sure Tel Aviv and some of the surrounding towns. And you talk to some of the younger generation, and they're like, they're kind of more like, yeah, we kind of, we believe God exists, but he's not at all interested in our lives. He's not going to do good and he's not going to do bad. He might exist, but he is distant. He's distant. That mindset is very prevalent today in Israel. That mindset is very prevalent today throughout the world. This mindset is kind of prevalent in the church today. I mean, half of us are like, I think God hates me. Other half are like, I don't know if he even cares about me, to be quite honest with you. And then there's this loving God who cares so deeply about us, and his love for us is so absolutely perfect. He's like, why am I the one getting the bad rap here? I've done everything for you. Like, I've done, well, but God, you've got to answer this specific prayer. And he's like, well, maybe I am answering that specific prayer by just saying, wait. I don't like that answer. Well, 
okay, I would, if this was me and my kids, I'd be like, well, tough, tough. I'm sorry you don't like that answer, but maybe that's what's best for you. Or maybe the no is what's best for us. I mean, God doesn't have to answer in the affirmative, right? He doesn't have to answer every prayer you pray with a yes. That's not how this thing works. And some of the best prayers, the best things, right, are that country song. I don't know who sings it, but Garth Brooks, I think. Unanswered prayers. It's like, okay. But the Lord's like, but I'm not indifferent. I'm not like absent. I'm present with you. I'm so present that I showed up on that planet I created that you guys destroyed by introducing sin into the equation, by listening to the enemy. The only thing the enemy did back then, and it's still his main target, his main weapon of choice is questioning God's word. Did God really say? And God's like, I'm the one that came on the rescue mission for you. I'm the one who's preparing a place for you to spend eternity with me. I'm the one who intercedes on behalf of you every single moment of every single day. I'm the one who gives you your daily bread. I'm the one who clothes you. I'm the one who gives you shelter. I'm the one who loves you unconditionally. God is not absent. We have to be careful that we, we don't fall into this trap of like, he's not going to do good, nor is he going to do evil. He kind of, he exists, but he's way out there. No, no, no. He's very near, even when I don't feel him. Verse 14, he goes back into this, this. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against their high towers. Concerning this day, for these guys, this came true. And again, within 20 years, it came true. This is also like a a future thing. There's a dual prophecy element to this where it is like it's an immediate thing for them, although it was a near, you know, kind of thing for them. But for us, it's like the day of the Lord. And when it happens, when it, when it goes down, this description is an apt description for what that'll be like. And I don't care what your theological view is on end times, eschatology, if you want the fancy word, of like pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all that stuff. Just be found in Jesus, okay? Because let's say us pre-tribbers, which I am one, got it wrong, and we're, it's a post-trib thing. And it's like, I got to go through the tribulation. Are you kidding me? You know what? You'll be fine because you'll be in Christ. You'll be in him. He always knows how to preserve a remnant. He does that better than anybody else. Okay? The thing, the key to this whole thing for them, but then also fast forward, you know, several thousand years to where we're at today is you don't want to be the person who's caught off guard when the day happens, when it goes down. This description of this day is not a good one. It's not one that we're like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, I could use some wrath, just trouble, distress, devastation, desolation, darkness, gloominess, day of clouds and thick darkness and trumpets with always significant of like wartime, sound the alarm, 
Like, we don't want that, right? It's just better to be like, okay, Lord, I don't know how the end times are going to go down. I have my ideas, but it doesn't matter. I just want to be found in you. Like, I just, I just want to be found in you. I can go through anything this life throws at me, and this is a very dangerous statement I'm making, okay? As long as I am in Christ. Now, that is easier said than done, okay? So please understand that I'm not like here, like, well, I can face anything. There have been many things in my life where it's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not. And there will probably be other things in my life where, you get tested on that. But if we can take a step back, Romans chapter 8, man, if I'm in Christ, ultimately, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. So this is a good warning for them. It's a good reminder for us too. But the Lord's like, I'm going to show up. Here's what's coming with me. Verse 17, he says, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men, blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. So there's a reason for it. He's not just being mean. There's a cause and effect here. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. So the Lord, our Lord God, is a jealous God. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. And we've heard this accusation. You probably have if if you know somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And they're like, wait a minute. The Bible says God's a jealous God and jealousy is a sin. And you're like, no, that's not technically true. Okay. Yeah. What what are you talking about when you say jealousy? Are you talking about like, because you were a crazy person in your relationship and like, like that kind of thing, like that possessive, like, because that's not just jealousy. I mean, that's also like covetousness. And there's all sorts of stuff that go with that. But no, if, if God is jealous for us, not, uh, he's never jealous of us. He's jealous for us. That's not a bad thing. You want God to be jealous for you. That means that he wants your time. He wants your attention. He wants your affection. It's a beautiful thing. And he wanted that with Israel. And Israel turned their back on God. So because they entered in a covenantal agreement with God and they didn't honor their part, God has to be true to his word and says, if you disobey this, then I will bring enemies into the land to take you captive. Now, so this first chapter was all about like Israel though, and I'm specifically Judah, okay? The next chapter, chapter two, is all about the enemies that are surrounding Israel. Because yes, God can use whoever he wants to use, but it doesn't mean they're off the hook for their own sins. So chapter two, it's all, he's going to list out different nations, okay? This is a message to the Gentiles, which Isaiah chapter 14 through 20 had a similar kind of message. Jeremiah chapter 46 through 49, a similar type thing. And for us, we've already gone through this, but Amos 1 and 2 This was God letting the nations know, hey, don't celebrate Israel's downfall. You should never celebrate the downfall or the the correction of somebody else. If you grew up with siblings and your sibling got in trouble and you celebrated that in our household, that meant that you were probably going to get a whooping too, okay? Like 
if you're laughing at like, oh yeah, you got, you deserve that all stuff, then don't be surprised if, you know, that naughty paddle or whatever it was for you guys, it doesn't have your name on it as well, right? So you never celebrate the correction or downfall of anybody else. You should never do that. That is the most unchristian thing to do. Sadly, it happens a lot within churches. Sometimes we're just waiting for that person to fall, which is so disgusting of an attitude to have. Like, it's just prevalent within the church. It's so, it's ridiculous. Like, oh, they're going to fall. You just, you wait, just you wait. And then what are you doing while you're watching for somebody to fall? You're certainly not keeping your eyes on the Lord. You're certainly not serving the Lord. And you definitely don't care about your brother or sister because you should be coming alongside them. But the nations that are surrounding Israel, they had the tendency to like, they were going to watch God work and they would celebrate the fact when he corrected Israel. Verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Verse 3, this is probably the key verse to the whole book of Zephaniah. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Right? So this is just a warning shot that God's giving to the nations of like, hey, you can turn. You don't have to be included within this. If you seek the Lord, meek of the earth, meek is its power that is under control. I think it's sometimes the best way to describe that. Seek righteousness, seek humility, like pursue after these things, seek them out. I mean, it just means that you have to be like active within this. Humility isn't a natural thing that happens for you, okay, right? If you think like, I'm just naturally humble, well, probably not, actually. This humility is one that you actively, God is saying, you search out for this thing. Read the whole book of Proverbs, I mean, it frames this out beautifully. It's not just like with wisdom, but also with humility and righteousness. The Lord had a lot to say about this through the Gospels as well. But seek out righteousness. Seek out humility. Seek out the Lord. He says, I'll hide you. I'll hide you in the day of trouble. Which again is a comfort just in case your theology is not correct about the end times. And let's say you got to go through the first three and a half years. You'll be okay because God knows how to hide you. What if you get to go through all seven? You'll be okay because God knows how to hide you. Just keep seeking him and seeking humility and seeking meekness and righteousness and all that stuff. Just seek the Lord. But if you don't want to, this is where verse four comes into play. For Gaza shall be forsaken, Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. This is cities that would occupy on the coast there, Philistine-like cities and inhabitants. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down at evening for the Lord their God will intervene for them. 
and return their captives. This is what's so beautiful about this. The Lord gives a warning to Judah, and it's like, you're going to build houses that you don't live in, right? Because they're going to be taken captive. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. When you come back into the land, the enemy's going to build houses for you. I mean, they, they would need to rebuild their city and, you know, the temple and all that. But, but God is letting them know, like, oh, for all these surrounding enemies around you, they're going to build pretty nice houses, but they won't live in them. You will, which is kind of fascinating. Verse 8, I have heard the reproach of Moab, the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab will be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah. You know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Those towns don't exist anymore, okay? They don't exist. That's not really a good forecast for you if God's like, you're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. You're like, where are they at again? Oh, they don't exist. They don't exist. Overrun with weeds and salt pits in a perpetual desolation, the residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. Their downfall is their pride. The end result of pride is always the downfall. It's destruction. It just is, right? Pride and, and a haughty look, they always equal, and haughty look would be something along the similar lines of arrogance. It's d- destruction is the end. It is. You don't believe me? Well, just ask Lucifer, okay? Because um, he lost everything because of pride, right? The rebellion in heaven and all that, a third of the hosts of the heaven were cast down. And just read through your Bible and take note of how destructive pride has been in the lives of many people that are in, on one page are heroes and on the other page are an example of don't let pride take place within your heart. For this enemy, the Moabites and the Ammonites, their downfall is their pride. Pride is the one thing that like people who have issues with pride are oftentimes not aware of it. And you see it in other people and you're disgusted by it. And yet if you just turn the mirror around, you're like, oh wait, that's me. Like, oh, that's... It's a contagion, so to speak, that we all have to be on guard against. It does not do anything good. It's not edifying. It does not build you up. It actually destroys you, and it can destroy relationships. It gets in the way of growth. Okay, If it's a weed in a garden, it's one that chokes out the life of everything around it. you got to like pull that thing up from the roots. And you and I can't do that. We can own it, we can acknowledge it, but it really has to be the Holy Spirit who dwells in you to uproot any prideful issues that you have. I've been very honest with you guys. The thing that I struggle with is pride. Not because I think I'm awesome. Not because I think I'm awesome. It's because I think I'm horrible. That's just pride from a different angle. It's just I'll I'll beat myself up all the time. That's just a reversal of pride like self-loathing and all that stuff. That's just pride that looks different from a different angle. I have to be on guard from pride, not because, well, certainly because if you have a platform, regardless of whatever, how big that platform is or whatever, you have to be on guard from that, thinking you're better or whatever, which I don't. But my issue is more of like looking down upon myself and 
putting terms or labels on myself that God has never placed upon me. So it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm great. No, I don't think that at all. I probably walk around most of the time thinking, I'm horrible. And not like in a godly way. Not in a, like a, yeah, like Paul would say, I'm the chief of all sinners. That wasn't him being prideful. That was just him being honest. But he's not like, woe is me. I'm the worst. God, why'd you pick me? Blah, blah, all this stuff. It's like, that's just another form of pride. Just be like, God, thank you for letting me do this. It's probably going to be a mess, but you picked me, and I'm going to give you the best I got, right? And he's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I got when I got you. So just keep your eyes on me. Just keep your eyes on me. But those two different forms of pride always bring ruin with them. For this nation, it's the Lord's like going to show up, and he's like, I'll t- I'm just going to take you out. I'm going to take you out. Verse 11, he says, the Lord will be awesome to them. And not like the awesome we use, okay? Like in, you know, oh, that's so awesome, right? No, like awesome, like in like terrifying, like powerfully, like very intimidating. For he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation. That actually was just about to happen historically. Like when Zephaniah prophesies this, he makes this prophecy, Nineveh's head was on the chopping block because Babylon had just risen to power and they were headed to dethrone the Assyrians who were the global domination power at this point in time. So God's like, I'm going to make Nineveh a desolation, as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst, every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern. I didn't go with my New Living Translation today, but that means something else. If you're like, what's a bittern? I knew what it was earlier today, but it's since it's escaped my mind. You guys can talk about it in discussion time. Um, but anyways, the also weird reference here is, is pelican, in which you're like, what, the, what in the world? A pelican in the Bible. There you go. They shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold. For he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it. There is none besides me. How has she become a desolation, a place for every beast to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fists. Essentially, that's the destruction of Nineveh. 100, 120 years prior to this letter, Jonah was in Nineveh, and he told them, like, hey, you need to repent because God's going to wipe you out. And they were like, sackcloth and ashes for everybody. Let's do this. Didn't last. It worked for that one generation, but then another generation rose up, and they forgot all about that. And they thought, like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good because mom and dad were good. Like, we're, we're okay. We're okay. We don't have to worry about this destruction thing. That's silly. That's crazy. No, no, no. That got solved. Now we can live however we want to live. In fact, maybe even more wicked than our predecessors had lived. But we're going to be okay because God didn't destroy us then. He won't destroy us now. And God's like knocking on the door of like, hey, um, here I am. I warned you. Hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken 
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.